Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvot Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvotisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. So, after all, that's pretty hard to follow up. But, I wanted to say, good morning again and Shabbat Shalom again. I have a question for you all. Is it time for you to get out of the boat? I read a book a number of years ago that had a profound effect on my life. The title of the book was, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. It was written by a, name, by a guy named John Ortberg. And it's based on the account recorded in the Gospels of Yeshua walking on the Sea of Galilee. So I wanted to start out this morning by reading you the record of this event in the Brit Hadashah, which is commonly referred to as the New Testament. Let's set the stage here. Yeshua has just fed the 5,000 at Bethsaida, and that's on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Can we pull up the first verse? And this is the record in John chapter 14. I'll be reading from the Tree of Life version. It says, right away, Yeshua made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he'd sent the crowds away, he went up on the hillside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long way from land, tossed about by the waves, for the wind was against it. Now on the fourth watch of the night... And now that's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So it's pretty late. Yeshua came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried with fear. But immediately Yeshua spoke to them, saying, Take courage! I am. It is I. I am. Don't be afraid. And answering, Peter said to him, Master, if it's you, command me to come to to you on the water. And Yeshua said, come. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water, right to Yeshua. But seeing the wind, he became terrified. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Master, save me. Immediately, Yeshua reached out his hand and grabbed him. And he said to him, Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, You really are Ben Elohim, that is, you really are the Son of God. The year was 2006. Mary and I were living in Davidson, North Carolina, just out of Charlotte, just outside Charlotte. We had a beautiful house. We were living in a beautiful little college town. And the town sits on picturesque Lake Norman, 
if any of you know the area down there. But we had suffered a terrible family tragedy the year before when our son-in-law, Dustin Fisher, was killed in Iraq. It had been difficult enough to deal with my own grief and at the same time try to minister to the, the grief of the rest of my family, particularly my daughter, Alicia, who had lost her husband at such a young age. I was doing much reflection about my life at that time. Now, I had a pretty good job, stressful at times, but a good job. But it all seemed so meaningless. People constantly competing with each other to get ahead, gossiping and stabbing each other in the back. They would stress and accuse each other of such trivial things. They'd make a crisis out of little things. Now, I had to ask myself, this place where I worked was, was a tobacco company. It's, it's like, does this help people? Does this make people's lives better? Do I contribute to the common good? When life can be cut so short at any time, is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? In my private prayer life with God, I began asking him, what should I do? I waited for the answer. And he said, in a still small voice, he said, David, be a teacher of worship. Be a worship leader. Now, mind you, this time I had been with Philip Morris 23 years. I had only seven years to go to get a full retirement pension. But I decided with the Lord's guidance, I was going to step out of the boat. I started putting a resume together. Now, I had some experience being on a worship team at a large church. I'd been to a number of seminars over the years about leading godly worship put on by the likes of Maranatha music and integrity music. But I was just the bass player in the, the worship band. Not only that, but I had no music degree. I didn't have a degree from a Bible college. I didn't go to, hadn't gone to seminary. I had a degree in chemical engineering, of all things. So I started looking around, and I found job openings posted online from congregations looking for a worship leader. I sent cover letters, and I sent resumes out. I talked to my worship leader at the time and told him what I felt God was leading me to do, and he gave me his blessing. He even let me start leading worship at that congregation on Sunday nights at their service. So I was stepping out of the boat. I got some responses back from places. They would say, interesting background. Um, not sure if it's what we're looking for. Or, well, that's nice, but music degree preferred. Or the proverbial you always hear, we want someone with experience. Eventually, I got an invitation to audition, if you will, at a church in Greenville, South Carolina. I got to meet the pastor and the leadership. So we drove to Greenville, and I was interviewed, and they asked me many questions about how, what I see the role of worship and the service. They asked me about my faith, my beliefs, my background, etc. I met the worship team, and I led them in a, in a practice. Then I led the worship team and the entire congregation in worship 
the next day. They thanked me, and they said they would call me. My worship leader heard of a part-time job opening at another church near where we lived. I called and met the pastor. Then I went to a meeting with the pastor and the deacons. Now, this was a traditional Southern Baptist church, and they needed a leader for their contemporary service, which they were just starting. So I came and I organized a practice with the volunteer musicians and, and singers. Then I led the worship service. They thanked me, and they said they would call me. Weeks went by. Months went by. No call from either church. No other, no calls from any church, any house of worship. Oh, I, I would send an email, and I would, you know, call, check up on things. Have you guys made a decision? No, we're still praying about it. Uh, we haven't reviewed all the candidates. We're still interviewing some candidates. Uh, we haven't decided yet. We'll let you know. Finally, I got a call back from church number two. Could you come and lead us in worship again? I said, sure. We'll set, up, we'll set up a date, which we did. I came and I organized a practice for the team on a Thursday evening. There was a young man, a senior in high school, who, had been, who was part of the team. Now, he and his mom contacted me, and he, he said, was it okay if I missed the practice? Because it's the same night as my senior prom. I said, now, normally, the worship team I was a part of at that time the rule was, you miss practice, you don't, you're not a part of the worship team that Sunday. You sit in the congregation. But I believe then, as I do now, in grace, and for extenuating circumstances, we waive the rule. So Sunday morning comes, we have our pre-season practice, I mean pre-service practice. The young man is there. Everything seems fine. For the service, I'm leading the worship, and I happen to look over where my singers are, and one of the singers is not there. I said, that's funny. Afterwards, I asked one of the other women on the team, I said, what happened to so-and-so? I forgot her name at the time, but she said, oh, she was mad. You let Tommy play with the worship band this morning, and he did not attend Thursday night practice. So she was offended and refused to sing. That was my first taste of reality in ministry work. It's not all one big happy family with everybody being honest and saying each other, bless you, brother, and smiling and being thankful for what you do, etc. And then, of course, in my naive thought, it was like, Everything's going to be easy. It's wonderful now. I'm going to be doing the Lord's work. You just, you know, fellowship with believers, and everybody's happy and appreciative. Unfortunately, backbiting, jealousy, and gossip in the secular world can happen in ministry world work as well. But let me get back to the story at hand here. Again, weeks went by, and I heard nothing. By now, the pastor in Greenville, South Carolina, had finally let me know they chose someone else. We had been living in North Carolina seven years by now. 
previous to my applying for a worship leader position, I had made several attempts to transfer back to Richmond with my company back up here from whence we came. A job opening would be posted within the, the company posting system for a position in Richmond. I would apply for it, and I would hear nothing. Time after time. One time, I actually did get an interview. I came up to Richmond. I went through multiple interviews with multiple people in the department, only to be told at the end of the day by the hiring manager, you don't have the experience we're looking for. You don't fit the job description. And then went on to describe qualifications that were totally different than the one they had posted or the one that I, you know, came up to apply for. I thought to myself, why did you even bring me up here? My experience was obvious in the resume and in what I told you. So I was like just totally giving up on ever coming back to Richmond at this point. Then one day, a job gets posted within the company for an R&D position, research and development, up here in Richmond. It happens to be for a man that I used to work for years before. Now, mind you, my worship leader search was going nowhere. So I went ahead and called him up. We talked about the duties of the job, and he said, David, the job is yours if you want it. I was like, what? We'll bring you up for an interview, and we'll go through the formality, but the job is yours. I couldn't believe it. All this effort, years to transfer, and nothing? All this effort to become a worship leader, and nothing? Now, just like that, I had a job offer back in Richmond. What am I going to do? Well, I did a lot of praying, but I accepted that job within the company. And here's the crazy thing. The day I formally accepted that position up here in Richmond, I get an email from the pastor of that church saying, and this is, it was strangely worded. It was, well, I'm sure you've been informed by now that we want to bring you on as worship leader, so let's talk about the date to start the compensation, et cetera, like that. I said, you've got to be kidding me. I said, God, did I screw up? Was, was I not listening? I had to politely tell the pastor after hearing nothing for so long, on just this very day, I accepted a job within the company in Richmond. I said, I'm so sorry. Well, we moved back to Richmond and I ended up working for that company another 10 years. So what about worship leading? We had visited Tikvot, Israel, right before I was transferred to North Carolina. Here we were coming back to Richmond. Where would we come to fellowship and worship? Well, the day we got back to Richmond, we went straight to a Shavuot picnic. I even brought my guitar, and we started playing right then. We have been here ever since. I joined the worship team. At that time, Stacy Cowan, Jamie's wife, was the worship leader. I was the lead guitar player standing on the very end, right down there where Henry is right these days. Right, Henry? I was down on the end there. 
But I also ended up leading worship for Stacy whenever she was out of town. If she had to be out of town for something, she asked me to stand in for her. Then in 2010, she and Jamie announced that they were moving to Israel. Who would take over as worship leader? Well, Stacy prayed about it. Then she told me the Lord had spoken to her clearly that I was take, to take over for her after she left. I've been a worship leader here since the end of 2011, when they finally packed up and they, they moved to Israel. It has been a privilege and an honor to be your worship leader here and an answer to my prayers. A year after I left the factory, which was in Cabarrus County, North Carolina, just outside Charlotte, the company announced they were closing the facility. This would start a mad scramble by people there trying to find jobs in Richmond. But I was already here. Oh, and the pastor of that church that finally was going to bring me on as worship leader, he was gone too. In fact, he had, he'd left, and he came to, went to a church up at Colonial Heights. I haven't checked if he's still there yet or not, but he went to Colonial Heights. Why am I telling you all this? You may be afraid to step out of the boat. You may fear the unknown. You may ask yourself, am I absolutely sure it's God's will? But if you don't take a step, you'll never know. When you ask the Lord to step out of the boat, I'm sure you're going to want the sea to be calm, right? You want to, in fact, you probably want it to be dead calm. But more than likely, it's not going to be. You see, Peter asked Yeshua, Lord, if it's really you, bid me come to you. And Yeshua said, come. Peter took a few steps and was doing fine until he remembered the storm. He saw the waves. Then he started sinking. When you step out in faith, you're going to encounter waves. I sure did. It may get rough. You may not even be able to see clearly at times. It may be foggy out on that water. I know it was for me, and it may take time. See how many years it took for me. It took about six years. But God had a plan for me. It wasn't necessarily the plan I thought it would be. But you know what? The end result was the same. Stepping out of the boat requires you to take action. You get a surge of delight. Even if things do not turn out perfectly, it can be a hard thing. It can be a challenge. But you grow. When you avoid facing up to a difficult situation, even if things eventually turn out all right, inside you feel like, well, I kind of wimped out. I took the easy way. Can we put that quote up, Gordon? It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done even better or done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly who errs and who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, 
who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows at the end of the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. That's a quote from Teddy Roosevelt. When you step out of the boat, it builds the core of who you are, even if you don't perform flawlessly. So what if you mess up along the way? God has a plan for this. It's called repentance and forgiveness. Sure, maybe you, along the way you could say, well, I could have done it better. Maybe you could have said, I didn't, maybe I didn't say the right thing to someone or something. It's called saying, I'm sorry, and saying, I forgive you. And in Revelation, I just want to quote from Revelation chapter 3, these verses. This was written to the Messianic community in Laodicea. It says, the Lord says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. Oh, that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich and I've made myself wealthy and I need nothing. But you do not know that you are miserable and pitiable and poor and blind and naked. Folks, don't be lukewarm. If you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. It might get a little uncomfortable. You might get wet. If you want to know when and where, ask him. Ask him. Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. Say, bid me, Lord, come. Get to know him. Fellowship with him through his word and through prayer. He's going to take you to amazing places. He'll bless you with an abundant full life. Shabbat shalom.